Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, Season 7, Episode 4. My name is Bradley Metrock. I'm CEO of Project Voice. I'm draped in my Titans garb. For those of you watching on YouTube, rather than listening to the show, um, as most of you do, um, because over the last couple of weeks, I've worn my visor. We've won. The team is no longer 0-2. We're 2-2, uh, hopefully about to be 3-2. and uh, I'm not about to change that at this point. We've got a fantastic panel on the show this week and a really important story to cover as well. Um, Rupal, I'm going to start with you. Tell us who you are. Tell us who you're with. Thanks, Bradley. It's great to be on the show. Uh, my name is Rupal Patel. I am the VP of Voice and Accessibility at Veritone. Um, Veritone uh, recently acquired Vocal ID, where I was the founder and the CEO, and um, I have a background in speech uh, technologies. Um, and I'm really excited about what we are doing together uh, at Veritone in terms of bringing voice and democratizing voice um, for all those who need it across particularly the um, enterprise uh, applications that we're doing. Um, the accessibility part of what we're doing continues to be the, the work that sort of has driven my passions um, in terms of bringing voice to those who have very limited uh, speech motor control, who have to use devices to talk for whom we make personalized voices. So um, that's a little bit about me. Rupal, it was great to see Veritone acquire vocal ID and uh, congratulations for that. And that's uh, that's a two plus two equals five situation. Congratulations uh, to all y'all. Thank you very much. We're excited about it too. Four months in and, and uh, we're really enjoying the ride. Awesome. Yeah, thank you for joining us on the show. Our next guest is Ram Menon from Avamo. Ram, tell me if I'm not pronouncing that right. Welcome, tell us who you are, tell us uh, who you're with. Great. Hey, uh, thanks very much for having me. Um, my name is Ram Menon. I'm the founder and CEO of Avamo. And what Avamo does is conversational AI for very large enterprises. Uh, you know, the genesis of the company is really uh, being an enterprise software for 25 years. Um, in some sense, this show is part of that transformation that we are seeing a fundamental transformation in human computer interaction. Over the last 40 years, we started with a keyboard, moved to touch, and now there's no screen, right? And you're already seeing it in consumer applications and all the attendant issues with that technology. But I think the bigger opportunity is in enterprise applications, and that's what we are going after. So Avamo helps to basically, in some sense, replace the human by providing AI voice, much like Vocal ID, but also intelligent workflows to actually make sure you can handle a customer request, you can handle an employee request, and then integrate it into the backend systems like Salesforce and whatever else you use to do your record keeping. So that's what Avamo does. And uh, we're in 44 countries. We did about 2.5 billion interactions last year. So, so far so good. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that, Ram. It's great, uh, you know, have seen Avamo from a distance uh, over the last year or two. It's great to have you on the show, long time coming. Thanks for being here. Last but not least, we have Zohaib Ahmed from Resemble. Zohaib, say hello. Tell us who you are. Tell us about Resemble. 
Awesome. Thanks, Bradley. Um, now it's great to be here with uh, with Rupal and Rob. Uh, it's a growing ecosystem of, uh, of, uh, of folks that are trying to tackle AI and voice. So uh, it's exciting times. But I'm Zohe, founder and CEO at Resemble AI. Um, we create AI voices for creatives. Um, so, you know, starting off with, you might have heard Alexa skills and um, you might have seen assistants and accessibility tools that use AI voices. Um, that's kind of where we started off as well. And as we grew our own technology, we felt uh, folks were doing things with artificial voices that we, we didn't quite imagine before. So um, anywhere from narrations, reading ads, um, replacing Alexa, all the way down to like filmmaking, um, games, uh, sales and marketing videos, et cetera. Uh, just getting a lot more personal with audio. Um, Resemble is also used for like an Emmy-nominated Emmy docu-series on Netflix called The Andy Warhol Diaries. Um, so uh, pretty proud of like hours and hours of content that was generated and being used. And um, last I checked last month, um, Resemble was generating about three and a half um, years worth of audio every month. So um, yeah, it's it's growing very quickly as as you can tell by the entire space in general. So you're seeing all sorts of like creatives get into you know language modeling with uh, and art and um, all sorts of tooling that's helping them do things that you know we couldn't imagine. And so it's an exciting time to be building in this space. Completely agree with that. Thank you for being part of the show. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it goes without saying, you know, I've long since stopped attempting to keep competitors from being on the show. You know what I mean? Because every time I try, uh, I get somebody telling me, oh, well, actually we compete with them in this other way. You know what I mean? So I just, I just gave up. Uh, it's, 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 it's much more about, um, the caliber of the individual, uh, around here. Um, and we got that in spades, uh, today. So thanks to all y'all for being on the show. No, it's a great point because I think voice is not a monolithic thing. There's so many aspects that people are attacking. For example, Zoeb's view of the world for creatives is very different from my view, which is enterprise software, you know, boring, large companies. So, you know, it doesn't matter. No, it doesn't. And, you know, uh, and, and Rupal and Zohave, you know, they, they, you know, sometimes we get, sometimes we get people doing similar things. Sometimes we don't, but, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of blue ocean out there. Um, we'll begin. Let's look at the news this week. And, you know, really, um, this is an unusual episode of the show because typically, um, you know, we'll have four full stories that we'll discuss. And this particular week, I thought um, we're really going to devote the majority of the time to one singular story. And that's only happened a couple of times uh, over the course of, you know, six full seasons into seven at this point. Um, the story um, from Ars Technica, I'm going to read the headline, Biden proposes new Bill of Rights to protect Americans from AI harms. So um, just to set the stage here, I'm also going to do something else. So there's actually a pretty in-depth website that the White House has created for this. Uh, I'm going to read the five pillars of this blueprint. Safe and effective systems, 
algorithmic discrimination protections, data privacy, notice and explanation, human alternatives, consideration, and fallback, okay? So there's some stories that we've included that are kind of analysis on this, but this one kind of uh, tells, the, tells the, the, the meat of it. Uh, Rupal, I'm gonna start with you. Um, this, um, you know, maybe somebody was expecting this. I wasn't, um, I don't know where this came from, um, but I think it's welcomed. Uh, who cares what my opinion is? I want your opinion. What is your opinion on this AI Bill of Rights? Good thing, bad thing? How does this strike you in general? Yeah, I don't think it's really a surprise, Bradley, because um, back in 2019, there was, I think it was 2019, maybe beginning, beginning of 2020, but the FTC had a commission on voice cloning. Um, and uh, they, it was a small group meeting um, in January of that year. Um, and really it was about, you know, the threat that AI and deep fake voice and, and audio plays to um, misinformation, right? Um, and so I think they've been thinking about this for a while. And then I think with some of the more recent, um, I guess, more, more recent um, news in the, uh, in, regarding, you know, different kinds of documentaries and this and that, and so was mentioning the Andy Warhol stories, but then also Roadrunner and some of the other shows. So I think that um, it's not unexpected. Um, I think what it doesn't have is necessarily the teeth, um, you know, in terms of um, figuring out sort of, you know, what happens if, right? So I think it's sort of more generally, but it's taking a stand, right? Um, I think the Open Voice Network and there are a number of other organizations, um, it was, uh, Athos was another organization that we developed. Um, there's also another one called the Future of um, Synthetic Media. So then there's many, many groups that are thinking about how do we protect the, the voices from misuse. In fact, today I'm at this conference called the SANE conference, which is speech and audio in the Northeast and in, in uh, the US. And um, the title of my talk this morning was around, um, you know, beyond speech synthesis, beyond end-to-end -end speech synthesis, or what do we do about these incredibly um, realistic sounding voices. Human parody is no longer the goal, really. It's, it's um, now that we have this, how do we make sure that the, these, the, the same technology that's meant to be so good, right? Meant to have these incredible applications in terms of people with disabilities, uh, even uh, advertising and all entertainment and all that, we don't want it to be misused, right? And so I think that when government gets involved, I feel like there's this other hand that's sort of reaching in. Um, but ideally, this would be, you know, companies like ours, the, the, the companies here at the table and others that are part of this discussion. And I, I've actually been a huge advocate for making sure that the providers of this technology have a seat at the table when it comes to some of these regulations. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to see that there's sort of something out there. But I do think that, um, you know, companies that are involved in producing this kind of content understand how to mitigate it so that innovation is not squished. Um, I think the worst thing we can do is obviously we want to protect people. We don't want our technology in the wrong people's hands. We're not doing this for that. You know, we are doing this in order to increase creativity, improve operational efficiency, all of these things. And at the same time, any technology can get misused. So um, it's really important, I think, that we proactively think about this in synthetic media because we know it's possible. You know, in, in some of the other uh, kinds of technologies, 
thinking about the consumer was an afterthought or privacy and things of that were an afterthought, it's great to have to be ahead of the game in this case. Um, so that's my view on, on this. No, that's great. And that's, uh, yeah, that's a great set of comments to, to start this off. And Rob, I'm going to ask you the same question. Uh, from a high level point of view, uh, your thoughts on this AI Bill of Rights? Well, I have a little bit of a different view. I was, talk, I was just doing this talk to a bunch of MBA students, uh, uh, you know, yesterday. And my view is it's notable, it's interesting, but it's just a good PR headline, right? And I think what will happen with these kind of things, uh, being ruthlessly pragmatic, is it will generate uh, a lot of talk tracks for pundits, but it's kind of toothless. Right. And it's a good thing. It's a good thing uh, in the sense that the government, by the publishing of something like this, which is non-enforceable, has a dozen different caveats, is at least shining light on the problem. Right. But my view on it, on, on AI and specifically is having done this for so long for large enterprises who really care about this stuff is, uh, because of liability, uh, right, is there's a lot of artificial and artificial intelligence still. And we all, as well as the government, would be better served in focusing on the biggest issue we have today, which is data privacy. Fix their problem first. Deal with the bill that's going through Congress currently in a practical manner. Because I think, you know, uh, Tim Cook says it best, right? The problem today is very simple for Apple, right? We, they believe that the user has a right to be asked for permission before their data is used. It's that simple, right? Nobody's saying that you can't use the data, but ask the user the permission. And the government is probably the only authority who can, in some sense, mandate that. Now, there's, there's a whole bunch of things going on and every company is trying to, you know, kind of do some permission base. And of course, the platforms like Apple have been very, very, uh, you know, shall we say, you know, good with that. And that's why, as a part of the second part of this discussion, I never use Alexa, but I do use Siri. And that's the level of trust companies have to build on the pure, simple point of, please ask for permission. So I feel like that, like instead of talking all these tall stories uh, about AI, which is kind of like, you know, tomorrow's problem or next week's problem, fix today's problem and last week's problem, which is endemic, right? Which is causing so many issues, right? So that's kind of my take on this. Like, it's nice. It's great PR headline. It's going to get a lot of pundits talking up a storm, but it's essentially kind of nice to have. And, but, but fix the real practical problem. And hopefully Congress will pass and uh, the, the bill that's under consideration because the European Union is moving very, very fast. So that's one part of the issue. The second part of the issue is kind of what Rupal talked about, which is AI 
is not a monolithic thing. It's a general purpose system, right? So if you want practical safeguards, you have to apply much of these principles to specific applications. For example, she talked about, you know, voice cloning. That's a very important place where you could specifically apply some of these principles. Or, for example, the European Union just announced the banning of using it for lie detector. That makes sense. So, so these things are nice, you know, kind of up there in the ether, but they have to be applied very specifically with a lot of thought on specific applications that may, you know, have abuse. But the most important thing is fix the data privacy issue. No, that's great. Yeah, no, that, that point's well taken. Zohab, I'm going to turn to you. Your thoughts at a high level on the AI Bill of Rights. You like it, you don't like it. You know, you heard from Rupal and Ram, a couple of different uh, views of the prism. Tell me your thoughts. Yeah, no, um, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of just echoing what they previously said. So it's, a, it's good that there's a stance, um, you know, um the 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 wording on the last point it was uh you know you should be able to opt out comma where appropriate comma and i kind of paused it i'm like oh that's going to cause a bit of interpretation where appropriate um so it's it's a it's a step in that direction i think i think that there's a large problem you know if you take a step back with ai systems in general uh even if you forget about voices for a second um everyone knows your ai model is only as good as their data so you know, uh, if you're using like, you, you've seen the language models that go crazy. Um, it's it's just, it's a data problem and data problems are really hard to solve for. Um, and and by, by design or by default, data has biases, like data that we collect, everything has a bias. So how do you get rid of biases out of data is like a extremely challenging problem to solve because um, how do you even detect what a bias is? Like, you know, you, you look at things every day and we all do. And we all have biases about what we look at and what we interpret. So um, if if we are biased and we're judging the data, that becomes a very hard problem for us to solve. Um, so some of these are like uh, like Rob said, they're difficult to enforce, um, which is which is a challenge on its own. So uh, one way of thinking about this, and and I'm, I'm glad the you know the community in general is uh, is is being built the way it is. Uh, it's, it's, it's very open, uh, very open in terms of like, um, like what, uh, uh, the discussions that are happening, um, you know, many of us are kind of, I know Rupal is like deeply involved with those discussions and that's, that's great. Like it's, it's good to get like industry expertise when you're coming up with laws or how to regulate things, et cetera. Um, but the open source community is also really interested in, or really interested in this. So, uh, it's it's kind of strange, but the more open things are, the the more open systems are, uh, the more we know about them and the more we understand them. So um, that's step one. It's like understanding these systems. Like yesterday, Google came out with uh, uh, this text to video generator, right? Um, and uh, if you scroll to the bottom of their page, one of the reasons they haven't like publicly released it in their own words is because they're they need to put safeguards because some of the things it's generating. Are just not appropriate, um, and they, they don't they, they believe it could be very mis uh, it could be easily misused. So uh, the fact that it's out there, it's almost like uh, what Rupal said: you don't want to like stem innovation in any sort of way. You want these things to get out there, um, and you want it to to be exposed to everybody. 
Um, from our perspective, we do a lot of work on deep fake detection and watermarking in general. Uh, the way I look at this is like a, it's, it's layers. So there's the layer of like, does the consumer know what's happening and education? That's, that's a layer. Um, in terms of like our platform in general, uh, protecting people when they're submitting data, anonymizing the data, just best practices around how, how do you how are you handling data sets? Um, and then beyond that, it's uh, anything that our platform produces is watermarked by default. So we can detect like that it's generated by Resemble or generated by us. Um, same thing with a, a layer above that is like deep fake detection. So we have an open source repository that we published about a year and a half ago. And one of the things it does is it's able to detect um, voice deepfakes. So it's able to detect like that this particular clip that's two seconds uh, doesn't quite look like it's the original speaker anymore. Um, and using neural networks to detect deepfakes, um, I know Adobe with Photoshop illustrated this a while back, I think three or four years ago, where they made a neural network to detect Photoshop images to a, and they had like an extremely high accuracy at that. So. Um, I'm glad these discussions are in the open. I think, uh, um, you know, it's, it's a step in the right direction for all of us. No, that's great. That's great comments all the way around to start us off. And I'm going to go back through the original order here. And I want to touch on data because it came up, you know, with, with the comments that, that all three of you had. So, you know, and it's, it's, it's hard to talk about something the government does without getting overtly political about it. But I think everybody would agree uh, the government, you know, the United States government doesn't particularly care about data management historically. You know, if you disagree with that statement, feel free to correct me in just a moment. But, uh, you know, if, if it's the IRS, uh, no, they, 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 you're going to pay. And uh, whoever they decide to farm out your data to, you know, to make sure you pay is, is, uh, that's just whatever they decide to do. You know, if, um, uh, the, the, the military, you know, uh, national security, you know, there, uh, there's data being collected on you at the airport. And, uh, I don't remember, uh, I don't recall signing a, a waiver for that. Uh, they just do what they damn well please, you know, and I could go on and on and on. Of course, they're in some situations of greater gravity than others, of course. Um, but Rupal, I'm coming back to you to start with, and like I said, I'll go through the original order. A fundamental premise of this Bill of Rights is the sanctity of our data, um, as all three of you touched on. Um, is that realistic? You know, is what what should the expectation of um, the layman be for how the government? Um, in seeking to prevent harms or mitigate harms, uh, what should the expectation be for our personal data? You know, what uh, is this all just talk or is something useful, you know, even possible to happen with how our data is managed by the government? Talk, talk to me. Well, I don't think the data is going to be managed by the government. And I'm not sure this is a government issue. Um, I think actually really what, to me, the way I see this is it's about educating the public. Every consumer needs to understand their rights about their data. And I think up in the past, we have just traded privacy for convenience. So, you know, people have put, you know, if we really, really cared about data, 
you know, we wouldn't have been able to put Amazon Alexas in every single hospital room, <laughs> you know, uh, HIPAA is the one thing people go freak out about. And yet, you know, there are so many hospitals that just put Alexas everywhere because they thought, whoo, someone could access, you know, their phone and their, I mean, their music, their this, their that while they're in the hospital. Well, that's a big problem, right? And so part of it is we are so easily trade convenience for data um, or for, you know, um, we just, we don't think about it. And I think understanding what that can do, I think now that data is so quickly uh, gathered from every source, right? I just think that most consumers are not thinking about this. And how many times do we read all the policies when you, you know, do, do an, uh, figure out a new piece of software that you're going to load on your computer or your phone or whatever. You don't read all of those things. And so there's a bunch of laws that are in place. Laws are there, I think, for some of the things that are um, egregious and, they, you know, the, the parts is to keep things in order. But honestly, what is required right now is a bigger, a better conversation with end consumers so that they understand what it means for their data to be living on all these um, on all these sources. Like, I don't know who said it, but they said, you know, they, I don't have an Alexa, I, I only use Siri. Oh, I think Ron, you said this, right? I only use Siri. Yeah, I don't want one of those things listening in. And yet, you know, I actually was, um, there's a research project that I did many years ago where we actually recorded things in our home to learn about language acquisition. Um, so, so, you know, I think, I'm okay with data sharing only when we understand what it's going to be used for. I'm also not okay with data sharing when it comes to monopolies, uh, companies that have that know everything about you. They don't only know what you're ordering. Um, they don't only know, you know, what you're eating. They know what your medication is. They may buy, they may go and buy an insurance company tomorrow. They whatever, whatever, whatever. So again, I don't know how much government is going to be able to do with this because even if you look at this bill, right, so much of it is sort of outdated um, language in terms of things like talking about an automated system. You know, <laughs> automated systems are just one way to deliver AI and, and synthetic media, right? There's so many other ways. And are they going to regulate streaming? You know, so I think really um, we... I think consumers need to know more about what, how their data is being shared or where it's being shared. I think the media does a good job of sort of um, uh, talking about this, but it's always the sensationalization of data. Um, and so I think that making data this sexy thing that you talk about only when something, something happens and you think there's something wrong with it, I, I think that that's a problem. Because if you, when you saw in, in Roadrunner and some of these other movies, you know, the media took one piece of this and decided it was a privacy issue. Um, the one thing I actually disagree with in this, in this, um, in this is about you have to tell people that it's an automated system that's talking. You know, all of our companies here are trying to make synthetic media that sounds indistinguishable from humans. Why? Because our customers want that. <laughs> what they want is it to sound hyper-realistic, to sound it on parity with humans. And then you got to go tell people, by the way, that was synthetically created. Like, how is that how is that okay i think we're just in the early phases of this technology when we watch a cgi movie for example i don't want to be told that it's or playing some video game you don't want to be told that oh that's 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 computer generated and really it's just a new met method of um of, it's a new media right so i feel like 
it's not going to be the government for some of this stuff. It's going to be other bodies. Um, what are who are those other bodies? What is their interest in this? I don't know. But I think the companies at the table here that are talking about this, it's our responsibility as well to talk. Oh, and we, we lost Rupal there, but I'm sure we'll get her back in a second. Yeah, no, there, there were some good points in there. Ram, I'm going to uh, go to you. Um, you know, uh, you were mentioning the importance of this bill, you know, to focus on the higher priority items, you know, and, and data being, um, and the use of data being something that um, is front and center you know, and right in front of us, whereas the AI Bill of Rights is kind of more pie in the sky. Um, give me your thoughts on what our expectations should be, you know, given what you said earlier and how you set, it, set this whole thing up. What are your expectations um, on how the government ought to be interacting with our data? Yeah, I mean, you know, conservative estimates, notwithstanding all the stuff we talk about, uh, not, the government has only 2% of the cons consumer data the way we think about it. 98% is held in private sources, right? Now, the different perspective is we, us and our data have been collected in many forms for several decades, right? You know, if you think about FICO scores, guess what? That's your data being used without your permission. But that data was being used arguably to provide you a service of some sort. The question of data privacy has come to the fore in the last five to 10 years because private platforms are using your data now to monetize it. And people don't like that. So it's a fundamental money problem in a capitalistic society where the Facebooks and others of the world are using your data which you have given for convenience and monetizing it for billions of dollars. So I, so I agree with Rupal, it's not about the government. It's about consumers who are, you know, there should be a consumer bill of rights. It's not an AI bill of rights, yeah, right? Now we have a consumer bill of rights over the last couple of decades for, uh, for credit cards, for predatory lending, for, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? So there should be a simple consumer bill of rights, which is somewhat embedded in that um, bill that's going through Congress for your data, right? And, and it goes back to the same thing, which is, you know, just ask my permission. I may give you my permission. I may give you my permission. Or in a capitalistic society, if you want to use my data, pay me for it, right? So there are different views on this, but I think the, the noise that's been generated over the last five to seven years is primarily because of these platforms using your data, which you're providing for free to monetize it. When your FICO score was being you know, generated and underwriters were using it for the last 35 years, there was not a peep out of anybody, right? So I think that's the point. So the point is not the government managing it, See, I'll use a metaphor, right, of how even though our capitalism is somewhat flawed in all its ways, it kind of self-regulates regulates because of, you know, the money attached to it. So let's think back to the turn of the century. 
The people who were selling buggy whips used to say cars are terrible. They break down all the time. They're dirty. They're unreliable. Go with a horse-drawn carriage, right? But the manufacturers of cars righted themselves. Some of them went out of business. Then some are safer than others. And, and there comes an inevitable survival based on the consumer's view of this world uh, that kind of writes itself. And maybe I'm an eternal optimist. But the same metaphor applies in this case, right? Government cannot and will not be able to regulate like unless, like Rupal said, the consumer will basically self-select. Like I have self-selected not to use anything other than Siri because, you know, I just don't want my stuff to be recorded, right? For, for whatever, for model training or whatever it is, right? Or you should be given the uh, ability to provide permission for your credit scoring to use alternative sources. Because now there's this whole thing on the market. Well, we'll use your web history and social media to do your credit scoring. Well, that's your data and you should be able to give permission for that. So at the end of the day, three things. You should be able to give permission before your data is monetized. Two, the government is not going to be able to mandate this. And three, there will be a process of self-selection as it's happening, where the consumer, once they understand their rights, will select which product or service, you know, does a good job. That's all. Yeah, no, those are good points. Uh, and... Um... No, I, yeah, we always have people who yearn to stay in the status quo, you know, through there was people who said, nah, you know, no, I really want to not get in an elevator without an elevator operator, you know, and eventually they just have to sort of get over it, you know, I mean, it's the life moves on and that's sort of what you were talking about. We, we've got to, we got to embrace new ways of thinking on this, um, whether everybody's on board with it to begin with or not. So, hey, I'm going to turn to you. And I'm going to ask you, you know, the same question, you know, what should our expectations be about people's data? But I also want to touch on something that Rupal said earlier as well about um, and get your thoughts on this before we sort of wrap up with the Bill of Rights uh, topic. Um, the idea of disclaiming whether you're talking to a, a synthetic voice or a fake voice or not. Um, you know, I agree with Rupal's point that um that seems a little unnecessary. I, I you know, I, I don't, I don't hear the bank or I don't hear contact centers, you know, telling me, oh, you know, you're talking to a real idiot right now. You're talking to somebody who failed out of high school or whatever. It's like, why, why should you, we, <laughs> you don't necessarily have to tell me that I'm talking to a synthetic voice. Um, I, I get that we had a problem with Google duplex, but uh, I'm on Rupal's page on this. I want to see if you're on that page and then tell send me, you know, tell me your, your thoughts on data practice as well. Yeah. Yeah. So touching on that point of disclaimers, um, you know, uh, it's, it's almost like we're pretending that uh, this is the first time computers have like touched something um, like should everything, should every magazine that uses a cover image now say, Oh yeah, by the way, we use Photoshop here. Um, we use something to touch up this image. It's just, it's just, absurd right like you you watch a burger king commercial and you see a whopper and you're like oh my god you go to a store buy a whopper and you're like what doesn't look like the whopper that's on tv you don't like get up and blame burger king you might be angry but the second time you buy the whopper you're not like you don't have the repeat thing right you're not like looking at the whopper and saying let's see i got fooled again 
Um, so it's like you look at the Whopper once and you're like, that's it. Like, that's obviously it's just in your mind. You look at anything that's like printed material and you're like, well, this is obviously not going to be like it is. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, to, to Ripple's point, it's, it's, it's quite obvious. Like some of our customers do not. And, and I think the consumer does not care that it is, it is uh, that there was AI used to do something. It's like when you watch a movie, would you, you know, I don't know. Is, is there someone on the call that doesn't like green screens? And they're like, I'm not going to watch a movie without a green screen. Like, you're not going to watch any movies at all. So uh, in some of our cases, like, yeah, the customer, our, our consumer, the creative doesn't want you to like know what tool was used. And, and frankly, the consumer doesn't really care. Um, and I think it's up to the companies to, uh, to figure out which use cases, uh, you know, um, are they're going to entertain um versus what they're not going to entertain for their tools like for example like um you know if uh anyone is coming to resemble to create like spam calls uh we just prevent that and it's much like OpenAI does it if you are um like open has a very anti-political stance so anything that's political generated through gpt3 is is like prevented and blocked um and we have something very similar it's like well if just we have like a terms of service and our products terms of service says that you can't do anything political and therefore that's 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 where this that's where we draw the line um so yeah that's that's my thought process around disclaimers um and yeah uh and how how consumers think of them at least um other than that like you know um i i think touching on the the data topic again it's um it's I don't, I know it's like really easy to look at the consumer and say, well, they should know to use Siri versus Alexa. I, I think the average American consumer doesn't like has no, um, like, like between Apple and Amazon has no, like, frankly, uh, trust <laughs> or trust with one or the other out of the box, right? They, they don't assume that, uh, that, that or they might equally assume that Amazon, Amazon and Apple are both going to be selling their data. Um, whether Apple decides to run an ad and say that we don't do it versus Amazon running in, you know, like ads showcasing Lexus at home, they're equally making you feel like they're not doing it. So it's hard to like uh, expect the consumer to kind of opt in or opt out of data. And that's why uh, I was particularly interested in, um, you know, this is one of the few things that I think the blockchain could actually be helpful with is like tracking where the data is being used, how it's being used, being transparent. It's, it's like a concept from the blockchain that I think companies can adopt. They don't need to use the blockchain to do that, um, but it's a, it's a concept that they can, they can adopt. And perhaps, you know, we, we transition to the Alexa story, but, you know, uh, Alexa capturing like all the prompts that are said is some UX team, like, you know, if I was sitting in Amazon right now, some UX team was like, hey, why don't we become more transparent and tell the users what we're collecting? And everyone around the table was like, that's a great idea. And, you know. Um, so hold that thought. Yeah. yeah. Let's go we're, there. We're, we're getting to that in just a second. <laughs> I, so, but I would, uh, if you don't mind, I would like to address something you just said, Bradley, can I? About uh, you said contact centers are not asking for these kind of voices. And I would say it's, it is. And I'll explain to you, it's pure economics, right? And I think we need to understand that. And that's what I keep telling you about self-regulating. So what contact centers are doing with uh, perhaps like Avamo's, um, you know, uh, stuff is, 
hey, if I'm detecting a call from Alabama, then the phone should be answered by somebody with an Alabama accent. Can you do that? Right? That this is not some Joe in India or the Philippines. This is, you know, AI answering the phone with an Alabama accent or a Boston accent. Or in some cases, and I can't reveal this yet, but there's a celebrity who is the brand. Now, if you want the celebrity to come into the studio, like some of the stuff that resembled us, we want the celebrity to come into the studio and pay him $20,000 an hour to, you know, kind of say your advertisement or whatever it is. That's a lot of money. That's pure economics. But with AI voice generation from Assemble or Avamo or anybody, you can just get a sample. And then based on the permission that you have from the endorser, create a whole body of various endorsements very cheaply, right? So all these things are happening and there's like real value in terms of monetary, you know, monetization attached to it, which is not going to go away. Now, there is the free part of it where somebody, you know, for sensationalism is, you know, cloning Obama's voice. And that's a different issue. And that has to be dealt with. But in the hard world of business, there's real value. Right. Yeah. So we're yeah. So we're we're on that page for sure. And um, it's interesting just with what you said, Ram, earlier about it, which Zohe touched on, you know, your preference for Siri over Alexa. Um, you know, I, I don't feel that way. Um, I, I, I am of like the way that Zohave described all these big tech companies are the same to me. And in fact, it, with maybe with a little bit of caveat, you know, you do have Apple kind of out there. Um, and I've been an Apple purchaser for a long, long time, uh, you know, still on the computer side, even though I've migrated to Android. Uh, Apple's out there telling you how great they are. And like anybody else telling you how great they are that's who you got to watch out for. You know what I mean? Like a Amazon sitting there saying nothing, you prob they're probably okay, you know, but Apple putting a billboard up saying, hey, we value your privacy. Oh, um, mm, let's keep an eye on you. Um, you know, that's my personal opinion on that. But, uh, every, you know, Apple, um, certainly uh, there's a lot of people out there that wouldn't distinguish between one or the other. Um, in terms of the big tech companies. So I just thought I would give a little bit of my thoughts there. To, clo to close this sec uh, section on AI Bill of Rights, I want a one-word answer. And uh, Rupal, I'm going to start with you. Ram, go to you. Zoheb, go to you. The existence of this Bill of Rights and rolling it out this week has made it better or worse for protecting people. Rupal, you, you first. The one word, better or worse, with, uh, this, this existing? Better. Okay. Rob? Better, absolutely. Okay. Zohaib? Better. Okay. I didn't know we were going get, to get all three check marks here, but we did. So that's a good way, good place to leave that. And I want to turn the last five or so minutes to our second story. And I'm going to read this out loud, this is from the New York Post. Um, secret function on Amazon Alexa helped me bust my cheating boyfriend. So this is, uh, I, I love stuff like this. I love to end the show with stuff like this. Um, I'm gonna go in reverse order on this. Uh, Zohaib, I'm gonna start with you, then Ram, and then Rupal, I'm gonna give you the last word. 
Zohabe, um, you were starting to go into it a minute ago. What stands out to you about this? Um, and uh, yeah, I'll leave it at that. What stands out to you about this? Uh, your thoughts? Um, it's kind of like deja vu. I, I feel like I've seen this story before uh, a dozen times. I don't know if it's like, if you're in this space long enough, you just keep hearing these stories again and again. And you're like, again, uh, I thought people knew this by now. Um, there was this story a long time ago that Samsung TV has been listening to you. Um, very similar to this. So uh, yeah, I mean, look, I, I, my stance on this is like, you know, I, I don't think um, Amazon, especially with this, I think Amazon, like, the, the product team that probably worked on this had good intentions. Um, you know, they, they wanted to be transparent. They wanted to like, you know, they are collecting this data. Um, these systems work with collected data. They, that's how, that's how stuff works. It's like they collect data, they store it somewhere and then they uh, hopefully anonymize it. Uh, that's, that's the, I don't know how the internal system works, but hopefully they're anonymizing this data, but to the consumer, they have to show like what they're collecting. Um, in some cases, you know, um, they might even tell the user like, we collected this at this particular time and this is what we understood. And, you know, this is how we corrected it. And, and you can see like the system getting better over time. And, um, you know, it's, it's uh, somewhere, somewhere in there, every, every interaction that you have, this is no different than like, you know, you, you call um, Verizon or, you know, AT&T your favorite or most hated telco in the U S um, and they, they tell you at the beginning of the call that everything is going to be recorded uh, for training purposes. And, that's exactly what's happening here. Everything is recorded for training purposes. In order to make the system better, you have to like kind of keep track of this data. And some product team and uh, Amazon thankfully made a really beautiful UI. I looked at the screen and I was like, wow, they put a lot of effort into this. It's like not just slapped together in a list. It's like actually like the fonts are nice and everything too. Um, so, you know, my thing around this is like, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, I think the entire uh, UI and UX and, the, the product thought was, was probably intentionally done for good there uh, in order to like reveal what uh, what is being collected on you. Um, now, they could like like to earlier points, um, I think there's still like a lot to do to kind of like educate the user at the very beginning of like onboarding, perhaps that your data is collected and here's how you view your data. Um, like for, for example, right now, if I wanted to see like, you know, where, um, you know, Rupal has been throughout the entire year, uh, it's really easy to open Google Maps and look at the history and like she can look at exactly where she's been. She might freak out and be like, oh, Google knows exactly where I am. Um, and when I want to walk into a Starbucks, it knows like Apple knows like to open like uh, that Starbucks thing in my wallet and therefore Apple knows exactly where I am. Um, so um, some of these things, I think during the onboarding process, some some products do it better than others where they kind of tell people that, hey, we are recording this. And at that point, you may choose to opt out. Um, that's probably the right, like Apple, like, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give it to them. They do, they do a really good job at this and the onboarding experience to say like, hey, we're going to use Siri, but you want to disable it, right? I have it disabled because I keep swiping my hand off of the top right of my keyboard and activate Siri like 90% of the time. So I have that disabled completely now, but uh, the opt-in opt-out feature would be really helpful there. No, that's great. And Rob, I'm going to ask you the same question. How interesting, absolutely, I agree with Zohaib that uh, how many of these stories have we been through collectively? Uh, the answer is uh, several. Um, yeah, I mean, to, to me, what did you expect? I mean, what do you, I mean, Google has your search history, right? Like, so if say you have your, like, if you're interacting with, with something, I mean, it's just the same as your browser history. 
you're using a corporate laptop, they have access to your browser history and your click-throughs. It's just the way it is, right? And so if you are using Alexa, like Zoeb said, that actions are going to be stored somewhere. Now, the whole brouhaha that's happening now is about, as Soheb said, very, you know, kind of very well, the system has to be trained before you recorded it for a human to be trained and you didn't have a problem with it. Now you're recording it for, a, for an AI system to be trained. You just got to put safeguards. So I'll give you some examples of how we do it. And we do it ruthlessly because we do it for very large customers, right? We do it for some of the biggest hospital systems in the country, right? They, these are all end-to-end -end encrypted. We ruthlessly mask all PII data and anonymize it before running it through, uh, you know, the model. Uh, we have multiple drift monitoring tools. Now we're getting all technical, but this is the point, right? So if the model is degra degrading to improve the accuracy, drift monitoring tools are in place. So what I'm trying to say is, despite all the high-level stuff of ethical AI and all that, if I don't do all this, my customer is going to throw me out. So economics dictate that you mask the data, right? Economics dictate that you apply drift monitoring tools for your predictions. Otherwise, your customer is not going to be happy with the results. You know, I mean, economics dictate that you have to make sure employees don't have access to encrypted data. So economics will put those controls in place. That's one part of the equation. But if you're using a consumer-facing tool like Alexa or Google, be prepared that that data is going to be used or it's going to be stored somewhere. That's the problem. Right. I mean, and that's what Ropal said at the beginning. You have to educate consumers that for convenience, you are giving up privacy, right? And just get used to it or ask for permission. Well, have you seen our educational system, Ram? <laughs> okay no, yeah that, we'll, that's a that's another hour that's we'll a politically that. charged thing that you don't want to go through especially in california yeah you you uh you, you showed remarkable restraint uh with that rupal i'm going to give you the last word um you what stood out to you from this piece yeah so i guess my um we've seen this before but i also i, I have um maybe a slightly different take in the sense that I feel like us as, uh, humans, our natural habitat, habitat is not to be monitored. <laughs> and so I think it's really, um, I know that when I like, you know, when there's a video camera or whatever, it's like uncomfortable because there's something else watching you. Like you're not, so when we see a camera or a, a, know that a microphone is in the room, like there's a physical presence of it. but. In these cases, these are we forget that these are microphones and cameras and all of these things simultaneously. We don't think about them that way. So I guess one of the things that is uncomfortable to me about this is that typically when you collect data on someone, you have to have uh, you have to divulge that you're collecting that data, right? And so maybe the consumer who brought this Alexa into their home, the couple before or whatever, um, uh, like they understood that it was going to collect their data. But did this other person understand that there's this Alexa somewhere in this room that is collecting that data, right? And this goes back to awareness again, is that should we be weary of every conversation we have that's not in the woods? 
you know, because I think that the, the discomfort here for me is that we are constantly being monitored. And that to me makes us, makes me feel like we're living in a zoo. <laughs> you know, we're not captive in our own worlds. And we are being captive now because everything we say and do, whether it's a private conversation or whether it's a public conversation, potentially has the, the ability to be captured. You know, how many times have I done a Google search? Google says, you know, they do no evil, but how many times have you done a Google search and seen things like, you know, the place that you were talking to your, your, your spouse or your loved ones about the vacation you wanna take and all of a sudden the first word comes in and it's an abnormal word <laughs> and it's just like, oh, you were listening to my conversation while my mic, like my laptop was next to you, right? Like, so, you know, and, and we, we all kind of have that sense, but it feels a little bit like, I get it, Ram, that, you know, the, the dollars and the economics will dictate that, but it's kind of a lousy world if we can't do anything and not feel like we're not in a glass box being observed constantly. So I, I hope that there is a, there are some limits on this so that we don't have to go to the woods to be human again. We can be human in our own homes um, and expect that that's a private place. So like, what's private anymore? You know, like, is my bathroom like, you know, like <laughs> collecting, you know what I mean? Like there, where is it that's private? Because if you walk into the bathroom with your phone, are you freaking listening to that? You know, <laughs> like- Yes, the yes, sure yes. Yeah, so make sure you don't buy a ring camera, all right? right. I'm then, not going to buy that shit. <laughs> yeah, right? And a Roomba, too, because now, you know, you've got, you got Amazon's got you covered. It should be noted, and, and great comments all the way around on this and just throughout the show. It, it should be noted that uh, I did not actually see this New York Post story. It got emailed to me from a friend of mine uh, who works at a very large company um, uh, that said, uh, in essence, uh, I'll paraphrase, how on earth is this still happening? And uh, Ram, it's to your point, and someone very educated, uh, Ram, it's to your point that, um, you know, the education on this particular technology and this domain of ours um, has got uh, a ways to go. Uh, but, uh, you know, this, this Bill of Rights feels impactful, um, it feels like some sort of noteworthy inflection point of some sort. And uh, I think time will tell. And you know, the second story is just an extension off that, really, if you get down to it. Thanks to all of y'all, Rupal, Ram, Zoheib, thanks for taking the time to share your experience and expertise with not just me, but the audience as well. It's very appreciated. Hey, thanks very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. For this, for, week in voice, for this Week in Voice, Season 7, Episode 4. Thank you for listening, watching if you're watching on YouTube. Until next time.